Book One, The Legend of the Knight of the Red Cross, Canto Five. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Fairy Queen by Edmund Spencer. Book One, The Legend of the Knight of the Red Cross, Canto Five. The Faithful Knight in equal field subdues his faithless foe, whom false Duessa saves, and for his cure to hell does go. The noble heart that harbours virtuous thought, and is with child of glorious great intent, can never rest until it forth have brought the eternal brood of glory excellent. Such restless passion did all night torment the flaming courage of that fairy knight, devising how that doughty tournament with greatest honour he achieven might. Still did he wake, and still did watch for dawning light. At last the golden oriental gate of greatest heaven gan to open fair, and Phoebus fresh as bridegroom to his mate, came dancing forth, shaking his dewy hair, and hurled his glistering beams through gloomy air, which, when the wakeful elf perceived, straightway he started up, and did himself prepare in sun-bright arms and battleless array, for with that pagan proud he combat will that day. And forth he comes, into the commune hall, Where early wait him many a gazing eye, To weet what end to stranger knights may fall. There many minstrels make an melody, To drive away the dull melancholy, And many bards, that to the trembling chord Can tune their timely voices cunningly, And many chroniclers, that can record old loves, and wars for ladies done by many a lord. Soon after comes the cruel Sarrazin, in woven mail, all armed warily, and sternly looks at him, who not a pin does care for look of living creature's eye. They bring them wines of Greece and Araby, and dainty spices fetched from furthest Ind to kindle heat of courage privily. And in the wine a solemn oath they bind to observe the sacred laws of arms that are assigned. At last forth comes that far-renowned queen with royal pomp and princely majesty. She is abroad unto a paled green, and placed under stately canopy, the warlike feats of both those knights to see. On the other side, in all men's open view, Duessa placed is, and on a tree, sans foy his shield, is hanged with bloody hue. Both those the laurel garlands to the victor due. A shrilling trumpet sounded from on high, And unto battle bade themselves address. Their shining shields about their wrists they tie, 
and burning blades about their heads do bless, the instruments of wrath and heaviness. With greedy force each other doth assail, and strike so fiercely that they do impress deep dinted furrows in the battered mail. The iron walls, to ward their blows, are weak and frail. The Sarazen was stout and wondrous strong, and heaped blows like iron hammers great, for after blood and vengeance he did long. The night was fierce and full of youthly heat, and doubled strokes like dreaded thunder's threat, for all for praise and honour he did fight. Both stricken strike, and beaten both do beat, that from their shields forth flieth fiery light, and helmets, hue and deep, show marks of either's might. So the one for wrong, the other strives for right. As when a griffin, seized of his prey, a dragon fierce encountereth in his flight, through widest air making his idle way, that would his rightful ravin rend away, with hideous horror both together smite, and souse so sore that they the heavens affray. The wise soothsayer, seeing so sad sight, the amazed vulgar tells of wars and mortal fight. So the one for wrong, the other strives for right, and each to deadly shame would drive his foe. The cruel steel so greedily doth bite in tender flesh that streams of blood down flow, with which the arms that erst so bright did show into a pure vermilion now are dyed. Great ruth in all the gazers' hearts did grow, seeing the gored wounds to gape so wide that victory they dare not wish to either side. At last the Paynim chanced to cast his eye, his sudden eye, flaming with wrathful fire, upon his brother's shield, which hung thereby. Therewith redoubled was his raging ire, and said, Ah, wretched son of woeful sire, dost thou sit wailing by black Stygian lake, whilst here thy shield is hanged for victor's hire, and sluggish German dost thy forces slake to after send his foe that him may overtake. Go, caitiff elf, him quickly overtake, and soon redeem from his long wandering woe. Go, guilty ghost, to him my message make, that I his shield have quit from dying foe. Therewith upon his crest he struck him so that twice he reeled, ready twice to fall. End of the doubtful battle, deemed though the lookers-on, and loud to him gan call the false duessa, Thine the shield, and I, and all. Soon as the fairy heard his lady speak, Out of his swooning dream he gan awake, And quickening faith that erst was waxen weak, The creeping deadly cold away did shake. 
Though moved with wrath and shame and lady's sake, Of all attons he cast avenged to be, And with so exceeding fury at him strake, That forced him to stoop upon his knee. Had he not stooped so, he should have cloven be. And to him said, Go now, proud miscreant, Thyself thy message do to German dear, Alone he wandering thee too long doth want. Go, say his foe thy shield with his doth bear. Therewith his heavy hand he high gan rear him to have slain. When, lo, a darksome cloud upon him fell, He nowhere doth appear, but vanished is. The elf him calls aloud, but answer none receives, the darkness does him shroud. In haste Duessa from her place arose, and to him, running, said, O prowess knight, that ever lady to her love did choose, let now abate the terror of your might, and quench the flame of furious despite and bloody vengeance. Lo, the infernal powers covering your foe with cloud of deadly night, have borne him hence to Pluto's baleful bowers. The conquest yours, I yours, the shield and glory yours. Not all so satisfied, with greedy eye he sought all round about, his thirsty blade to bath in blood of faithless enemy, who all that while lay hid in secret shade. He stands amazed, how he thence should fade. At last the trumpet's triumph sound on high, And running heralds humble homage made, Greeting him goodly with new victory, And to him brought the shield, the cause of enmity. Wherewith he goeth to that sovereign queen, And falling her before, on lowly knee, To her makes present of his service seen, which she accepts with thanks and goodly gree, greatly advancing his gay chivalry. So marcheth home, and by her takes the knight whom all the people follow with great glee, shouting and clapping all their hands on height, that all the air it fills and flies to heaven bright. Home is he brought, and laid in sumptuous bed, where many skilful leeches him abide, To salve his hurts that yet still freshly bleed. In wine and oil they wash his wound is wide, And softly can embalm on every side. And all the while most heavenly melody About the bed sweet music did divide, Him to beguile of grief and agony. And all the while Duessa wept full bitterly. As when a weary traveller that strays by muddy shore of broad seven mervid Nile, unweeting of the perilous wandering ways, doth meet a cruel crafty crocodile, which in false grief, hiding his harmful guile, doth weep full sore, and sheddeth tender tears. The foolish man that pities all this while his mournful plight, is swallowed up unwares. Forgetful of his own, that minds another's cares.
So wept Duessa until eventide, That shining lamps in love's high house were lit. Then forth she rose, ne longer would abide, But comes unto the place where the heathen knight In slumbering swound, nigh void of vital sprite, Lay covered with enchanted cloud all day. Whom, when she found, as she him left in plight, To wail his woeful case she would not stay, But to the eastern coast of heaven make speedy way, Where grisly night, with visage deadly sad, That Phoebus' cheerful face durst never view, And in a foul black pitchy mantle clad, She findeth forthcoming from her darksome mew, where she all day did hide her hated hue. Before the door her iron chariot stood, already harnessed for journey new, and coal-black steeds a born of hellish brood, that on their rusty bits did champ as they were wood. Who? When she saw Duessa, sunny-bright, adorned with gold, and jewels, shining clear, she greatly grew amazed at the sight, and the unacquainted light began to fear, for never did such brightness there appear, and would have back retired to her cave, until the witch's speech she gan to hear, saying, Yet, O thou dreaded dame, I crave abide, till I have told the message which I have. She stayed, and forth Duessa gan proceed. O oh, thou most ancient grandmother of all, More old than love whom thou at first did breed, Or that great house of gods celestial, Which was begot in Demogorgon's hall, and source the secrets of the world unmade? Why sufferedst thou thy nephews dear To fall with elfin sword, most shamefully betrayed? Lo, where the stout sand's joy doth sleep In deadly shade! And him before I saw with bitter eyes The bold sand's foy shrink underneath his spear, And now the prey of fowls in field he lies, nor wailed of friends, nor laid on groaning beer, That whilom was to me too dearly dear. Oh, what of gods then boots it to be born, If older Virgil's sons so evil hear? Or who shall not great Nite's children scorn, When two of three her nephews are so foul forlorn? Up then, up, dreary dame, of darkness queen, Go, gather up the relics of thy race, Or else go them avenge, and let be seen, That dreaded night in brightest day hath place, And can the children of fair light deface. Her feeling speeches some compassion moved in heart, And change in that great mother's face. Yet pity in her heart was never proved till then, For evermore she hated 
never loved, and said, Dear daughter, rightly may I rue the fall of famous children, born of me, and good successes which their foes ensue. But who can turn the stream of destiny, or break the chain of strong necessity, which fast is tied to love's eternal seat? The sons of day he favoureth, I see, and by my ruins thinks to make them great. To make one great by others' loss is bad excheat. Yet shall they not escape so freely all, for some shall pay the price of others' guilt, and he, the man that made Sans Foy to fall, shall with his own blood price that he hath spilt. But what art thou that tell'st of nephew's kilt? I, that do seem not I, duessa am, quoth she. However now in garments gilt and gorgeous gold arrayed I to thee came, duessa I, the daughter of deceit and shame. Then bowing down her aged back, she kissed the wicked witch, saying, in that fair face the false resemblance of deceit I wist did closely lurk, yet so true-seeming grace it carried that I scarce in darksome place could it discern, though I the mother be of falsehood, and root of duessa's race. A welcome child, whom I have longed to see, and now have seen unwares. Lo, now I go with thee. Then to her iron wagon she betakes, and with her bears the foul, well-favoured witch. Through murksome air her ready way she makes, her twyfold team, of which two black as pitch, and two were brown, yet each to each unlitch, did softly swim away, nay ever stamp, unless she chanced their stubborn mouths to twitch, then foaming tar, their bridles they would champ, and trampling the fine element would fiercely ramp. So well they sped, that they become at length unto the place whereas the Paynim lay, devoid of outward sense and native strength, covered with charmed cloud from view of day and sight of men, since his late luckless fray. His cruel wounds with cruddy blood congealed, they binden up so wisely as they may, and handle softly till they can be healed. So lay him in her chariot, close in night concealed. And all the while she stood upon the ground, the wakeful dogs did never cease to bay, as giving warning of the unwonted sound with which her iron wheels did them affray, and her dark, grisly look them much dismay, the messenger of death, the ghastly owl, with dreary shrieks, did also her bewray, and hungry wolves continually did howl at her abhorred face, so filthy and so foul. Thence turning back in silence, soft they stole, and brought the heavy course with easy pace to yawning gulf of deep Avernus hole. 
by that same hole an entrance dark and base with smoke and sulphur hiding all the place descends to hell there creature never passed that back returned without heavenly grace but dreadful furies which their chains have brassed and damned sprites sent forth to make ill men aghast by that same way the direful dames do drive their mournful chariot filled with rusty blood and down to pluto's house are come believe which passing through on every side them stood the trembling ghosts with sad amazed mood chattering their iron teeth and staring wide with stony eyes and all the hellish brood of fiends infernal flocked on every side to gaze on earthly white that with the night durst ride they pass the bitter waves of acheron where many souls sit wailing woefully and come to fiery flood of phlegeton whereas the damned ghosts in torments fry and with sharp shrilling shrieks do bootless cry cursing high love the which them thither sent the house of endless pain is built thereby in which ten thousand sorts of punishment the cursed creatures do eternally torment before the threshold dreadful cerberus his three deformed heads did lay along curled with thousand adders venomous and lilied forth his bloody flaming tongue at them he gan to rear his bristles strong and felly gnar until day's enemy did him appease then down his tail he hung and suffered them to pass in quietly for she in hell and heaven had power equally there was ixion turned on a wheel for daring tempt the queen of heaven to sin and sisyphus an huge round stone did reel against an hill ne might from labor lin there thirsty tantalus hung by the chin and titius fed a vulture on his maw typhius joints were stretched on a gin Theseus condemned to endless sloth by law, and fifty sisters water in leaky vessels draw. They all beholding worldly whites in place, leave off their work, unmindful of their smart, to gaze on them, who forth by them do pace, till they become unto the furthest part, where was a cave, wrought by wondrous art, deep, dark uneasy doleful comfortless in which sad esculapius far apart imprisoned was in chains remediless for that hippolytus rent course he did redress hippolytus a jolly huntsman was that won't in chariot chase the foaming boar he all his peers in beauty did surpass, but ladies' love as loss of time forbore. His wanton stepdame loved him the more, 
But when she saw her offered sweets refused, Her love she turned to hate, And him before his father fierce of treason false accused, And with her jealous terms his open ears abused. Who all in rage his sea-god sire besought, Some cursed vengeance on his son to cast. From surging gulf two monsters straight were brought, With dread whereof his chasing steeds aghast, Both chariot-swift and huntsmen overcast. His goodly corpse on ragged cliffs arent Was quite dismembered, and his members chased, Scattered on every mountain as he went, That of Hippolytus was left no monument. His cruel stepdame, seeing what was done, Her wicked days with wretched knife did end, In death avowing the innocence of her son. Which hearing, his rash sire began to rend His hair and hasty tongue that did offend. Though gathering up the relics of his smart By Diane's means, who was Hippolyte's friend, Them brought to Esculape, that by his art Did heal them all again, and joined every part. Such wondrous science in man's wit to reign, When love avised, that could the dead revive, And fates expired could renew again. Of endless life he might him not deprive, But unto hell did thrust him down alive, With flashing thunderbolt a wounded sore. Where long remaining he did always strive himself With salves to health for to restore, And slake the heavenly fire that raged evermore. There ancient night arriving, did a light from her nigh-weary wane, And in her arms to Esculapius brought the wounded knight, Whom, having softly disarrayed of arms, Though gan to him discover all his harms, Beseeching him with prayer and with praise, If either salves or oils or herbs or charms a fore-dawn white from door of death mote raise, He would at her request prolong her nephew's days. Ah, dame, quoth he, thou temptest me in vain To dare the thing which daily yet I rue, And the old cause of my continued pain With like attempt to like end to renew. Is not enough that thrust from heaven due, Here endless penance for one fault I pay, But that redoubled crime with vengeance new Thou biddest me to eke? Can night defray the wrath of thundering Jove That rules both night and day? Not so quoth she. But sith that heaven's king from hope of heaven hath thee excluded quite, why fearest thou that canst not hope for thing, and fearest not 
that more thee hurten might now in the power of everlasting night. Go to then, O thou far-renowned son of great Apollo, show thy famous might in medicine, that else hath to thee won great pains and greater praise, both never to be done. Her words prevailed, and then the learned leech his cunning hand gan to his wounds to lay, and all things else the which his art did teach, which, having seen, from thence arose away the mother of dread darkness, and let stay a Virgil's son there in the leech's cure. And back returning, took her wonted way, to run her timely race, whilst Phoebus pure in western waves his weary wagon did recure. The false Duessa, leaving Noyus Knight, returned to stately palace of Dame Pride, where, when she came, she found the fairy knight departed thence, albe his wound is wide, not thoroughly healed, unready were to ride. Good cause he had to hasten thence away, for on a day his weary dwarf had spied, where in a dungeon deep Huge numbers lay of captive, wretched thralls that wailed night and day. A rueful sight, as could be seen with eye, of whom he learned had in secret wise the hidden cause of their captivity, how mortgaging their lives to covetous, through wasteful pride and wanton riotous, they were by law of that proud tyranness provoked with wrath and envy's false surmise, condemned to that dungeon merciless, where they should live in woe and die in wretchedness. There was that great proud king of Babylon, that would compel all nations to adore, and him as only God to call upon till through celestial doom, thrown out of door, into an ox he was transformed of yore. There also was King Croesus, that enhanced his heart to high through his great riches store, and proud Antiochus, the which advanced his cursed hand against God, and on his altars danced. And them long time before great Nimrod was, that first the world with sword and fire warrayed. And after him old Ninus far did pass in princely pomp, of all the world obeyed. There also was that mighty monarch laid low under all, yet above all in pride, that name of native sire did foul upbraid, and would, as Ammon's son, be magnified, till scorned of God and man, a shameful death he died. All these together in one heap were thrown, like carcasses of beasts in butcher's stall. And in another corner wide were strown The antique ruins of the Romans' fall. Great Romulus, the grandsire of them all, Proud Tarquin, and too lordly Lentulus, 
stout Scipio, and stubborn Hannibal, ambitious Scylla, and stern Marius, high Caesar, great Pompey, and fierce Antonius. Amongst these mighty men were women mixed, proud women, vain, forgetful of their yoke. The bold Semiramis, whose sides transfixed with sun's own blade, her foul reproaches spoke. Fair Thenobia, that herself did choke with wilful cord for wanting of her will. High-minded Cleopatra, that with stroke of Aspis sting herself did stoutly kill. And thousands more the like, that did that dungeon fill. Besides the endless routs of wretched thralls, Which thither were assembled day by day, From all the world, after their woeful falls, Through wicked pride and wasted wealth's decay. But most of all, which in the dungeon lay, Fell from high princes' courts, or ladies' bowers, where they in idle pomp or wanton play Consumed had their goods and thriftless hours, And lastly thrown themselves into these heavy stowers, Whose case, when as the careful dwarf had told, And made an ensample of their mournful sight unto his master, He no longer would there dwell in peril of like painful plight, But early rose, and ere that dawning light discovered had the world to heaven wide, he by a privy postern took his flight, that of no envious eyes he might be spied, for doubtless death ensued, if any him descried. Scarce could he footing find in that foul way, for many courses, like a great lay-stall of murdered men which therein strowed lay, without remorse or decent funeral, which all through that great princess pride did fall and came to shameful end. And then beside, forth riding underneath the castle wall, a dunghill of dead carcasses he spied, the dreadful spectacle of that sad house of pride. End of Book 1, The Legend of the Knight of the Red Cross, Canto 5.